Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, good morning, Jubilee. It's great to be with you. Greetings uh, on behalf of the whole Sanctuary Church San Francisco crew. We have been so blessed to know that you guys are thinking of us and praying for us. Uh, Thank you for financially supporting us and caring about the world beyond St. Louis. It's making a genuine difference to us as we endeavor to plant this church in the city of San Francisco. Jesus is our only permanent and perfect hope. Jesus is our only permanent and perfect hope. This year, I don't know about you, but one of the main things in this crazy time that I have been thinking about is hope. It's hope. I guess you could define hope as uh, a, a, a desire, an expectation for a specific thing to happen. A desire or an expectation for a specific thing to happen. And... Uh, as Christians, we all know the right answer. Yeah, when we're like, where do we put our hope? Or rather, in whom do we put our hope? We all set together, one, two, three, in Jesus. Yeah, we all know the theory. But I think this year, more than ever, I have alongside the theory at a daily, like practical level, observed in my heart the somewhat shocking reality that in many ways my my hope functionally at a daily level has been on so many other things happening rather than the friendship and love and presence of Jesus. I mean, I've bought more from Amazon <laughs> this year than probably ever. And it's extraordinary. You know, I, was wearing, I bought this jacket and I, was, I, was, I, I noticed in my heart, although I would have said, you know, my hope is in Jesus, functionally, my actual hope in those days leading up to that thing coming was in the jacket coming. You know, my, my source of energy and life functionally was in the delivery of that beautiful puffer jacket, which is indeed a thing of great beauty. But the reality is, is that that was occupying my heart. That was really kind of where my hope was based. And, and, as, and as humans, we're designed to hope. Um, In the book of Hebrews, turn there, chapter 7. It's a fascinating chapter. It talks about a guy called Melchizedek, and we're not going to go into too much of that at all today. But at the heart of Hebrews 7, this chapter really, and the whole book in many ways, is about hope and where we are putting our hope. Not just in theory, but like in reality. Where are you really putting your hope? The context of these Hebrew Christians is that they had kind of lost everything physically. To follow Jesus meant that their whole Jewish uh, culture around them had basically persecuted them and they had lost everything that they normally put their hope in. You know, access to the temple and their friends and their family and, and all these, these very precious things to them had been stripped away. And in exchange, they had Jesus. And that's not easy. They're used to hoping in other things and they're needing to learn to put their hope in this 
unseen yet totally real Jesus Christ. And, and what he's wanting to say to them, he's so kind. He says this in verse 18. He says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. It made the law, made nothing perfect. He's saying the things that you used to rely on, it was kind of useless and weak. So he's weaning them off the things that they used to always hope in. And then verse 19, he's wanting to get them on to a better way of living. He says, And a better hope is introduced, Jesus by which we draw near to God. And I love that word there, better. He's so kind. He isn't saying, oh, uh, hoping in anything else other than Jesus is just wrong. He's like, no, those things aren't wrong when you hope in your kids growing up well, and, you know, marrying someone half decent. You know, it's not wrong to put your hope in your soccer team or your football team doing well. But there's a better hope. There's a better hope, Tom. There's a, a truer hope. And what he's going to, ultimately zero in on in these next few verses is two things. That this hope, this Jesus, is both permanent in a world that's always changing and secondarily, he's perfect in a world where every other hope actually ultimately disappoints. He's permanent and he's perfect. So first of all, then he's permanent. Read with me verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So the first big idea is this is that the writer to the Hebrews wants them to exchange in their hearts at a practical daily level, increasingly, um, the tendency to put our hope for things to be permanent, which is a natural thing that we all want, things to not change, things to be reliable, things to be faithful, things to be as they always have been. That hope that expectation he's saying, I want you to, to realise that the only place you can safely put it is Jesus. And he's using this illustration of the priesthood. Now that might seem a bit obscure to us, but it's actually really, it's, it makes a lot of sense when you realise that for them as Jewish Christians, you know, God had given the priesthood to them so that there would be hope. When they sinned and when they failed and when they felt bad, they could run to the priesthood, run to the temple, and they would meet that priest that over time they got really close to as they shared their and confessed their sins to this priest. And as they did that and they brought that animal and the priest said, leave it with me, I'll go in and I'll represent you and you'll be forgiven. For them, the priesthood was synonymous with hope. It was such a blessing of God into this world. But what he's saying is the problem is that even with those sources of hope, those priests, do you realise that, and do you notice that even they kept dying? That they weren't permanent. That you had to be um, constantly aware that they were not going to stay the same. Now, I'm sure that you and I are probably not struggling with an over-reliance on priests, Okay. But what is your equivalent now in the 21st century? What is your equivalent to an over-reliance on something? What is your equivalent? I mean, it's funny, I, uh, I living in San Francisco, my goodness, 
You know, nothing is permanent. Everyone is always talking about the fact that they're going to possibly leave. You know, even my pet dog, Beans, who I adore and we got from a rescue centre, I've been reminded of the fact that, you know, suddenly recently he's developed this really bad back problem and there's not a lot that the, the vets can do for him. And I know it's only a dog, but as I look into his little bloodshot eyes as he struggles around and honestly the, 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 the thought in our family's mind is, is this the beginning of the end? Even with pets, I'm reminded that nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. Everything is constantly changing. Nothing is staying the same. My kids, as they grow up and they, they need us less. You know, I, I'm tended to put my hope in as i 43. You know, my hope can easily be in staying relatively slim or not losing my hair or I, whatever it might be. That these things can be the functional place I look to for some sense of stability. But here's the problem. That when we put our hope in anything, staying the same other than Jesus, there is just like a heartbeat away from hurt. We are a heartbeat away. There is such a connection between times that we get hurt and when we trace back, why have I got hurt about this? Nearly always it is connected with a misplaced hope. I was just recently aware that, um, you know, we left England almost four years ago. We, we had a large church. We'd worked, given our lives for it. We had been gifted or allowed to use uh, a very, very good rate, an enormous house. We'd planted nine churches. Grandparents lived relatively nearby. It was a beautiful city. So much. And, and God said, I want you to leave every, everything and I'll tell you what the next step is. And, and that ended up being church planting in San Francisco, initially with a tiny group of people. And over the last couple of years, although, man, God has been so faithful, you know, there have been times where I've been in danger of allowing hurt to come into my heart and a sense of, uh, God, you've been unjust with me. I've given up so much and I'm just here and I feel obscure with this tiny little thing. I wonder what it might be for you. It may be for some of you watching this, you're, there's just the beginning of that danger in you of allowing her into your heart as you have unconsciously been putting your hope for things staying the same um, on something other than Jesus because everything changes except Jesus Christ. And that's like one of the great messages of the Christian life. That's one of the great messages. It says here, yes, these priests kept dying, but look, verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God those who draw near to him since he lives to make intercession for them. He is saying, I want to highlight a danger, a place for them as the priesthood. For us, it could be so many other places that we try and put our hope for things to stay the same. 
when everything is shifting and changing. And instead, learn to become a people who are actually genuinely by faith more captivated, more energised and more putting our weight of our hopes on an unseen and yet totally real Jesus Christ who is completely permanent and he lives to make intercession for you. And what the writer is doing is he's painting a picture with these words that he wants to kind of increasingly fill their hearts and be the place functionally, not just theoretically, that they go to in terms of hoping for things to stay permanent. Where do I go in order to feel stable and rock-like when everything is shifting, when this country is so confused, when there's division, when people who I thought were my friends suddenly turn, uh, turn up to have a very different perspective on things, when, when, when I thought there was unity and suddenly there's division? Where do I go when everything feels like it's changing and shifting? Only Jesus Christ and the one who lives to make intercession for you. And I love that phrase there. He lives to do it. You know, when you watch like the X Factor and they interview the people queuing up for the auditions, that's the kind of language they use, right? I live for music. It's everything for me. And the writer to the Hebrews is wanting us to understand the power of what it is to feel almost the, 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 the energy of Jesus that he is described as living to make intercession for you. Don't put your hope, Tom Shaw, in anything else being permanent apart from this Jesus. And one aspect of him that is permanent is that he is energetically, energetically committed to ongoingly saving you. Not just, you know, capital S salvation that Jesus Christ has given us the gift of faith and he holds us and he grips us. That's obviously what we believe. But in addition to that, he ongoingly small S saves us. He rescues us from ourselves and our own failings. He's still at work present tense. You know, our faith is based on the past tense, permanent, beautiful event of Calvary and the resurrection. Hallelujah. Where our sins were placed on Christ and he experienced the wrath of God and was raised from dead. But at the same time, he's talking present tense. He's saying right now in the unseen realm, there is a permanent hope, which is a Jesus Christ who is energetically living to make intercession for you. And when your life starts to fall apart, subtly perhaps, or even more obviously, when you start to feel that things are not permanent, you learning to lean into that reality is literally everything. It is, it, it is the great secrets why Paul says, I, I've learned what it is to abound, to have loads and to be brought low. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the same thing. I, uh, I often find in the mornings, Josie and I will wake up and one of the first things we'll do is we'll chat about our kids. And sometimes we'll even start praying for them. And uh, it's weird how so often when we do that, suddenly the door creaks open and the child that we were praying for just, I don't know quite why this often happens. It's almost like unconsciously they know they're the subject of our prayers. They sort of come in um, and in comes Poppy aged eight with her big little white afro of hair. And we're like, Popster, hello, my darling. Good morning. Guess what? We were literally just talking about you and we were actually praying for you, my lovely. Why don't you jump into bed? And we'll finish off and she will undoubtedly jump into our bed and enjoy the fruit of us praying for her and talking about her and reveling in her. And this picture 
this picture is like he's saying, I want you to draw close. If you draw close, don't draw close to anything else being a permanent hope. Don't do that. Let there be a healthy distance in your heart from your kids needing to stay the same for you to feel okay or for your health needing to stay the same and be permanent. Start to let go of these things a little bit in your heart. Don't draw too close to those things needing to go that way. And instead, draw close gradually over time to the throne room of heaven, the bedroom of heaven, as it were, where if you come close, you will hear your name being uttered. You will hear by faith increasingly the fact that you are known and cared for and delighted in. And in a sense that Jesus is almost wanting your life here to come to an end. As strange as it sounds, he is almost excited about the moment when your heart stops and your lungs stop working. And finally, you know, faith is replaced by sight. And the one who's been interceding for us who lives to make intercession, finally we see the reality of it. That hope is practically able to functionally change our daily lives if we allow it. Let me ask you this question. Where might you be in danger of putting an unconscious hope for things to stay the same that you might not even be aware of? Is there any hurt just maybe just starting to creep in even unconsciously, some unforgiveness or some, you know, some pain that Jesus is just wanting to highlight today and say, hey, my friend, you know, I want to tell you about a better hope. Those other things are not a wrong hope, but let me show you a better hope. But then the writer of the Hebrews, he, he, he even, he goes to the next level in the next few verses. He's not, it's not just that Jesus is the only permanent hope. He is the only perfect hope as well. See, in verse 26, continues to talk about Jesus. Such a high priest meets our need. It's okay to be needy. Hallelujah. He meets our need. One who is holy, boom, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He is exalted above the heavens. See, unlike the other priests, the human ones, He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all at Calvary, where he offered himself. He offered himself for us. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son, here we go, who has been made perfect forever. We don't just have hearts that are hardwired to hope for things to say the same and be permanent. As humans, we are hardwired to hope for perfection. And it is not wrong to hope for things to be perfect. The problem is we notoriously, invariably tend to hope for the wrong things to be perfect. One of the most common is actually some, somehow, as crazy as it sounds, hoping in ourselves to be perfect. You know, we say phrases like, oh, I, no one's perfect. But actually, deep down, I hate the fact that I am not perfect. I hate my limits. I hate the fact that in many ways, I am just very, very average. 
I, I push against that. And you may say, oh, Tom, bless you. But let me ask you the question, do you sometimes struggle with drivenness, with shame, with that voice that says you should have done better, you should be more, you should, you should, you should. Deep down, unconsciously, most of us actually, <clears throat> you know, we say we're hoping in Jesus, but scarily, we're often functionally hoping actually kind of in ourselves. Sometimes we can hope in our, you know, our perfect ability to make a plan or to problem solve. You know, we can be confused when, when there's mystery, <laughs> when we have loose ends, rather than it being something that makes sense because we're really not perfect. We're kind of mystified why I can't solve this problem. Or we can, we can, um, we can have expectations of perfection and hopes for perfection in our parents, you know, being a certain way and loving our kids in a perfect way. We can, um, we can often have hopes for perfection unconsciously in our workplace being a certain way or in our bodies or in our emotions or in, or in our minds. And what he's saying here is actually there is a high priest, one called Jesus, and it's only in him alone that all those hopes of perfection ultimately will be found. And what he's doing in here is verse 26 is this kind of fireworks, Jesus glorifying verse. He alone is perfect. He's holy. He's blameless. He's pure. He's exalted. And you see in verse 27, it's this like gear change verse, unlike the other high priests who had to constantly sit, deal with their own sin. Why is he doing that? Because he wants us to be actually, strange as it sounds, disillusioned with anywhere else that we might be tempted to unconsciously hope for perfection. Sometimes we just think in life, oh, I should be more positive. I, I need to be more illusioned and like, you know, hope-filled and I'm just so negative. What he's actually saying, part of the deal, is a growing, healthy, mature disillusionment with, with anything other than Jesus that it doesn't see it in a, in a purely negative way, but has a healthy sense that this thing, as good as it is, family, work, job, church, whatever it might be, it's not that we're totally disillusioned, but we are real. And we see, just as he wanted them to see these priests as needing to sort out their own mess, the reason he mentions that in contrast to Jesus is so that they are very clear, don't put your hope for perfection in those priests. Don't think about going back to that world. Actually, you've been given another priest who truly is the place that you can hope for perfection. There'll never be a time when Jesus has to apologise to you. He's never gonna go, I'm really sorry, I didn't quite get it right here. Jesus always, always is perfect and deals with us perfectly. And he's saying, I want you to increasingly live putting all your hope only in him for perfection. And that means that we can, to be honest with you, take ourselves a little bit less seriously. I had a leader who came to me a few years ago and he said, I've, I've been really struggling with, in some ways, trusting that you have the ability to lead this church. This is after a Sunday meeting. It's very encouraging. And I thought he was going to say, however, recently I've seen things that have changed my mind. He never, he never changed. He didn't, he, there was no good bit. He just sort of said this and then walked off. 
And at first, I was obviously somewhat uh, upset and crushed. And the more I thought about it, though, the more I was like, wait a minute. He's right. Humanly, I'm so not perfect. <laughs> Humanly, you know, wh why would I ever think I have at a human level, what it takes to lead this people. And I was able, it was quite a, a profound transition moment for me where I realised I was able to just let go of that hope in me needing to be the perfect leader. I was able to join him in his reality check that Tom Shaw is just a bloke, just a guy. And I often say to the guys in... Um, in San Francisco, where the air that we breathe is, you're exceptional, you're amazing, and the only way you can make a difference in your life is if you're basically perfect and just that top 0.1%. And that's a lie. And so I often get the whole church plant to say out loud, one, two, three, together, I'm average. And as everyone says it, it's like, I'm average. It kind of grates across the American and San Francisco motto of perfection. And, you know, you've got to be outstanding to, to be significant. I'm like, no, 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 you're average. There is someone cleverer, smarter, more gifted than you, I promise you. But you are so loved. You are more loved than you could ever imagine. And I think one of the things I've noticed I'm 43 and I've increasingly sought out older men and women, really, not all older men and women, but certain ones. And the thing that I'm looking for often is a groundedness where for them, it's almost like there's a healthy gap between this exalted Jesus who alone in their hearts, they are seeing more and more as the perfect one and the reality of themselves and basically everything else around them. You see, it frees us. The more that we're like, my only hope for perfection is in Jesus, not in me, not in my marriage, not in my job, not in my kids. Man, that. And then you see what happens is we start to hold these things more lightly. They become gifts. You know, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Sometimes we stay single because we are unconsciously putting our hope for perfection, not in Jesus, but in our future wife. And so we get paralyzed. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I tell you what, she ain't going to be perfect. She's really not. She finds a wife, finds a good thing. And you get old, you think, you know what? I am definitely not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect anything. Hallelujah. I know someone who truly is. And that need for perfection is only found in him. And the more I can get my eyes off any other liar, including myself, and get my eyes on him, it actually means that joy is unlocked and power is unlocked. And a sense that you can, you can think we, not just me. You, know, you can get in and celebrate when others do better and bigger things than you. And you grow and, and we grow into being a people who are robust, even when things around us are not as we hope. Some of you have hoped that your leader would say a certain political view and it hasn't happened. And some of you have thought the, that you wanted them to say the other thing or that certain decisions would be made. And that's not entirely wrong, but I want to implore us this year, as we look ahead, there is only one leader who is perfect. There is only one leader who is actually the place that we need to place that, that expectation of perfection. And I would even say this, and with this I finish, as good and beautiful and wonderful as the local church is, even the local church, which I'm giving my life for, 
we need to see as a good thing, but not as a God thing, you know? Not as a, a thing that we need to expect perfection from. I had a letter uh, um, some time ago from an older man who at first, when he joined our church, had been a real ally. And then over time, he'd grown frustrated and angry. And he left our church and he wrote me this long letter of why, of all these reasons. And at first I was a bit defensive. And then I had this moment where I was like, wait a minute, he's kind of right. Like in many ways, when he says you should pray more and you should take communion in this way and you should sing these songs as well as those other songs. I thought, do you know what? He's, he's probably kind of right. And I remember writing back to him at first, I was going to write back this defensive letter. And I was like, do you know what, Mr. X, you're probably kind of right. Actually, we are probably not that brilliant at praying. And in many ways, we probably should give more money away and we probably should do communion in this way. But do you know what? We're broken. We're imperfect. We're doing the best we can and we're learning slowly. But still, I love this family. Despite its imperfections, it is still God's family and the thing that Jesus died for. And every church in the Bible is basically mucked up. So looking for perfection in the local church, even in the local church itself, is a mistake. We are a, a jar of clay, Paul says. We're, treasure is Jesus, the gospel. It's in a jar of clay. My friends, Jesus alone is our permanent and perfect hope. Man, what a saviour we have. He, he saves us again and again and again. He, he rescues us from that oh so subtle place of putting our hope in good things and making them God things. And today, as we finish and as we set our eyes on Jesus, my prayer is that each of us, not just in our heads, but actually in our hearts, would just take one more step towards the realisation that when we, when we see Him and taste Him as our perfect and our permanent hope, everything continues to change.